Today on Legalese, we are going to be talking about the true cause of and solution to inflation. Hey, greetings, and welcome back to Legalese. My name is Bob. I want to thank you all so much for joining me here today. Uh, and I would like to extend a special welcome to any new listeners who may be uh, tuning in. Uh, this is a podcast where we are going to be discussing all manner of constitutional law, as well as current events in other areas of law, as well as politics and culture. Uh, real quick, uh, you can find this show on a number of different platforms. I, I, I mainly put it out as a, a video version of the show that you can find on YouTube, uh, Rumble, and Odyssey. Uh, but I do also do an audio version that you can find over on Anchor and Apple Podcasts. Uh, and then if you go and check out my Substack page, you can find not only the audio and video version of this show, but you can also find a bunch of really awesome articles that I have written and continue to write, uh, mostly on issues of constitutional law. You can find links to all of that stuff down in this video's description. So it's good to be uh, here back with you guys back uh, behind the microphone. Uh, it's been much longer than I usually like to go between videos. Uh, I've been dealing with an insane computer crash that like it took me a week just to get the computer up and going again uh it was very frustrating i lost a lot of crucial data uh and uh so today is going to be a pretty uh short and simple episode because at this point i'm largely making this episode to see if everything is finally working correct again but i still got a, a great episode for you guys don't think i'm it's still a very good episode, but I'm, I'm just saying this isn't going to be quite everything I would usually give you. This will be a little shorter uh, and sweeter or something. I don't know. Uh, but anyways, also, I want to encourage you guys to stick around at the end of the show because I want to tell you about uh, an awesome uh, new project, a new book that I am working on called Constitutional Sleight of Hand, An Explicit History of Implied Powers. And I want to let you guys know what the book is about, uh, where you can go pre-order it uh, if you want to, and all of that good stuff. So stick around at the end. We'll get into that. But for now, let's just get right down to business. So as I said, today we are talking about the cause of inflation. And while I, I wouldn't be doing this episode if I didn't have a good grasp of the information that I'm going to be sharing with you guys, uh, I am by no means, admittedly, an expert uh, on economics. So uh, if you guys check the video description, I will be putting uh, plenty of links to really great material uh, that I would highly recommend. Uh, and, and this is a lot of the material that I uh, sort of went to and referenced as I was putting together the show for you guys. So if you want a more comprehensive understanding uh, than I give you in this short show here today, uh, I will have some links to some really great articles by some really uh, fantastic economists like uh, Ludwig von Mises uh, and Henry Hazlitt and more. So make sure to go and check those out. But to start off, uh, what I can tell you is that you have been hearing a lot of excuses from politicians 
giving all kinds of ridiculous reasons why we are dealing with inflation right now. And they range from uh, someone like Elizabeth Warren, who talks about greedy corporate fat cats who don't pay their fair share of taxes. Or uh, you have the Biden administration talking about these greedy gas company fat cats who are price gouging because all of a sudden all of these corporations suddenly got extra greedy all at exactly the same time somehow for some reason. Oh, here we go with the fat cat bashing. Well, what do you expect? These yokels are pure Baltic Avenue. <laughs> Uh-oh, I'm late for the short line railroad. Let's start with... And perhaps my favorite one uh, that we've heard is this is all somehow Vladimir Putin's fault, which has been uh, their answer to everything since like 2015. It, it's great how they just keep finding ways to make him responsible for things he couldn't possibly be responsible for. Uh, and, but, um... Look, the reason these excuses are also ridiculous and nonsensical is because the people who are hoping that you are dumb enough to believe these illogical excuses are the ones responsible for the problem, and they are just trying to point the blame somewhere, anywhere, except where it actually belongs, because that would involve them having to take personal responsibility. And also, I just, I, I want to say right off the bat, please... Uh, let's not pretend like this is just a Democrat problem. Have they done more damage than the last administration? Yeah, definitely. But that's not to say they are totally at fault. I, I mean, the last administration spent trillions of dollars more in the last couple of years uh, while in office on things like COVID relief packages. And we can't pretend that his printing trillions of dollars for COVID relief was somehow a proper decision and then pretend when Biden does the exact same thing, it is somehow fiscally irresponsible. It's functionally identical. Either both are justified or neither are. I lean towards neither. And let's not forget the fact that Trump gave us that tax cut, which normally would be a great thing if it was accompanied by a spending cut, which it wasn't. Every dollar we don't have that we print out of thin air to spend increases inflation, and tax cuts without spending cuts are irresponsible. It is you stealing from your children since you get the benefit and they will pay the cost. So let's get, but let's get to the basic, re I'm getting ahead of myself here. Let's get to the basic reasons for what is inflation, how, how does it come about? So when somebody says we have high inflation, today what they generally mean are prices are rising as measured by the consumer price index. However, that isn't actually an accurate definition of inflation. Historically, economists defined inflation as an increase in the amount of money and credit. Or to put it another way, it is an expansion of the money supply. And so economist Ludwig von Mises defined inflation this way in his book, Inflation and Unworkable Fiscal Policy. He said inflation, as this term was always used everywhere and especially in this country, 
means increasing the quantity of money and banknotes in circulation and the quantity of bank deposits subject to check. And a 1970s dictionary actually yields a very similar definition. They define inflation as a sharp increase in the amount of money and credit causing advances in the price level. So notice that the definition mentions rising prices, but only as a symptom of inflation. Inflation itself is defined as an increase in the amount of money and credit. And over the years, governments, along with its apologists in the corporate media and academia, have altered the definition to suit their government purposes. The standard definition of inflation bandied about today is really nothing more than government propaganda. And in fact, Mises explains the problem with this change in definition. He said people today use the term inflation to refer to the phenomena that is an inevitable consequence of inflation. That is the tendency of all prices and wage rates to rise. The result of this deplorable confusion is that there is no term left to signify the cause of this rise in prices and wages. There is no longer any word available to signify the phenomena that has been, up to now, called inflation. As you cannot talk about something that has no name, you cannot fight it. Those who pretend to fight inflation are in fact only fighting what is an inevitable consequence of inflation, and that is rising prices. Their ventures are doomed to failure because they do not attack the root of the evil. They try to keep prices low while firmly committed to a policy of increasing the quantity of money that must necessarily make them soar. As long as this terminological confusion is not entirely wiped out, there cannot be any question of stopping inflation. So, in other words, the modern definition allows policymakers to shift the blame. Now, if we use the traditional definition of inflation as an expansion of the supply of money, then the culprit becomes very clear. Who expands the supply of money? the Fed, and the federal government. So, if you accurate, accurately define inflation, you will know exactly who to blame. But if the government can fool people into believing that an effect of inflation is inflation, they can blame it on everybody but themselves, which is precisely where it belongs. And speaking of that, we can talk about the uh, recent... Uh, act that was passed by the Biden administration. And I think it's fair to say that the Affordable Care Act, the No Child Left Behind Act, and the USA Patriot Act have received new competition for the legislation with the title or most inappropriately named bill. And that is the one that was unveiled by the Democrats recently, their Inflation Reduction Act. 
This bill will not only increase inflation, it will also increase government spending and taxes. Again, not to put too fine a point on this, but inflation is the act of money creation by the Federal Reserve. High prices are one adverse effect of inflation, along with bubbles and the bursting of said bubbles. One reason the Federal Reserve increases the money supply is to keep interest rates low, thus enabling the federal government to run large deficits without incurring unmanageable interest payments. And so this so-called Inflation Reduction Act increases government spending. For example, the bill authorizes spending hundreds of billions of dollars on energy and fighting climate change. Much of this is subsidies for renewable energy. In other words, it is green corporate welfare. Now, government programs subsidizing certain industries take resources out of the hands of investors and entrepreneurs who allocate resources in accordance with the wants and needs of consumers and the market generally and give those resources to the government where they are allocated according to the agendas of politicians and bureaucrats. When government takes resources out of the market, it also disrupts the price system through which entrepreneurs, investors, workers, and consumers will discover the true value of goods and services. Thus, what we see spending on green energy program, this really will only lead to increased cronyism and waste. Now, this bill also extends the supposedly temporary increase in the Obamacare subsidy passed as part of COVID relief, and this will further increase health care prices. Increasing prices is a strange way to eliminate price inflation, if you ask me. And the only way to decrease health care costs without diminishing health care quality is by putting patients back in charge of the health care dollar. Now, this bill's authors claim the legislation will fight inflation by reducing the deficit via tax increases on the rich and a new 15% minimum corporate tax. But tax increases won't reduce the deficit if, uh, as is going to be the case, Congress continues increasing the spending. Increasing taxes on the rich and corporations also will reduce investments, which will slow the economy and thus increase the demand for more government programs. This will lead to increasing government spending and debt, and while there is never a good time to raise taxes, the absolute worst time for a tax increase is when, as the case is today, the economy is both suffering from price inflation and, despite the gaslighting that we see coming from the Biden administration and its apologists, we are in a recession. Now, this bill also spends $80 billion on the IRS. Supposedly, this will help collect more revenue from the so-called rich tax cheats, while supporters of increasing the IRS's ability to harass taxpayers claim that their target is the rich. These new powers will also be used very much against middle-class taxpayers and small businesses that cannot afford the legions of tax accountants and attorneys that a large corporation can and thus are likely to simply pay the agency whatever it demands. And increasing spending and taxing will increase the pressure on the Federal Reserve 
to keep interest rates low and thus keep increasing inflation. If Congress was serious about ending inflation, it would cut spending, starting with overseas militarism and corporate welfare. A Congress that took inflation seriously would also take the first step towards restoring something of a more, more of a free market monetary system uh, by passing something such as an audit the Fed bill that Ron Paul was very big on and trying to legalize competition in currency, such as with cryptocurrencies or other sources. So, the cure for inflation, like most cures, consists chiefly in the removal of the cause. Now, the cause of inflation is the increase of money and credit. So, the cure is to stop increasing money and credit. The cure for inflation, in brief, is to stop inflating. It is as simple as that. But, while this is simple in principle, this cure often involves many complex and highly disagreeable decisions on detail. So, let's begin with the federal budget. It is next to impossible to avoid inflation without, uh, with a continuing heavy deficit. Now, that deficit is almost certain to be financed by inflationary means, which means directly or indirectly through printing more money. Huge government expenditures are not themselves inflationary, provided they are made wholly out of tax receipts, or out of borrowing paid for wholly out of real savings. But the difficulties in either of those methods of payment, once expenditures have passed a certain point, are so great that there really is almost inevitably a need to resort to printing more money. Moreover, although huge expenditures wholly met out huge taxes are not necessarily inflationary, they inevitably reduce and disrupt production, and undermine any free enterprise system. Now, the remedy for huge government expenditures is therefore not equally huge taxes, but a halt on reckless spending. And on the monetary side, the Treasury and the Federal Reserve System must stop creating artificially cheap money which means they need to stop arbitrarily holding down interest rates. The Federal Reserve must not return to the former policy of buying at par the government's own bonds. When interest rates are held artificially low, they encourage an increase in borrowing. This leads to an increase in the money and the credit supply, and this process works both ways. For it is necessary to increase the money and credit supply in order to keep interest rates artificially low. That is why a cheap money policy and a government bond support policy are two ways of really just describing the exact same thing. When the Federal Reserve Banks bought the government's 2.5% bonds at, say, uh, at par, they held down the basic long-term interest rate to 2.5%, and they paid for these bonds, in effect, by printing more money. 
This is what is known as monetizing public debt. And inflation will go on as long as this monetizing of public debt goes on. The Federal Reserve System, if it is determined to halt inflation and live up to its actual responsibilities, would abstain from efforts to hold down interest rates and to monetize the public debt. It should, in fact, return to the tradition that the discount rate of these central banks should normally, uh, and above all in an inflationary period, be a penalty rate. That means a rate higher than the member banks themselves get on their loans. Now, Congress could restore the required legal reserve ratio of the Federal Reserve Bank to the previous level of 35 to 40 percent instead of its present emergency level of 25 percent put into effect uh, as a war inflation measure that dates all the way back to June of 1945. Now, later we will also discuss other means of preventing an undue increase in the supply of money and credit, but I want to state here my conviction that the world will never work itself out of its present inflationary era unless it returns to the gold standard. Now, the gold standard provided a practically automatic check on internal credit expansion. This is why bureaucrats abandon it. In addition to being a safeguard against inflation, it is the only system that has ever provided the world with the equivalent of a truly international currency. The first question to be asked today is not how can we stop inflation, but do we really want to? For one of the effects of inflation is to bring about a redistribution of wealth and income, and in its early stages, uh, until it reaches a point where it begins to grossly distort and undermine production itself, it does benefit some groups at the expense of others. The first groups acquire a vested interest in maintaining inflation, and two Many of us continue under the delusion that we can beat the game, that we can increase our own income faster than our living costs. So there is a great deal of hypocrisy in the outcry against inflation because so many of us are shouting in effect, hold down everybody else's prices and income except my own. But governments are the worst offenders in this hypocrisy. At the same time as they profess to be fighting inflation, they follow a so-called full employment policy, and as one advocate of inflation once famously put it in the London Economist, inflation is nine-tenths of any full employment policy. Now what he forgot to add is that inflation must always end in a crisis and a slump. And that worse than the slump itself may be the public delusion that the slump has been caused not by previous inflation, but by some kind of inherent defect in capitalism. So, to sum this all up, inflation is the increase in the volume of money and bank credit in relation to the volume of goods. It is harmful because it depreciates the value of the monetary unit, it raises everybody's cost of living, and it imposes what is in effect a tax on the poorest without exemption at as high a rate as the tax on the richest. It wipes out the value of past savings, 
it discourages future savings, it redistributes wealth and income wantonly, it encourages and rewards speculation and gambling at the expense of thrift and saving and hard work, and it undermines confidence in the justice of a free enterprise system, and it corrupts both the public and private morals. But it is never inevitable. And we can always stop it overnight if we have the sincere will to do so. Well, that's all I have for you guys today. Uh, So, uh, if you would give me just another minute of your time real quick, I want to uh, talk to you about that book I mentioned, Constitutional Sleight of Hand, An Explicit History of Implied Powers. So what is this book? Why am I writing it? Uh, really, uh, the, the main question I'm getting at in, in this is, what are implied powers? Now, these constitute the means by which our government has been subverting our written constitution of expressly delegated powers. And understanding the evolution and rationale of this doctrine of implied powers is a topic of overwhelming complexity and so much so that it's really not even uncommon to find lawyers and legal scholars who will buy into common fallacies relating to this subject. And this includes a great deal of what I believe is needless and intentional overcomplexity that has been created around this concept often by design, because those who benefit by hanging on to this excess of power through misrepresentation and confusion realize that people cannot change what they do not understand. And that's where this book will come in. So this book will give you everything you need to know about implied powers uh, right from its antecedents in the English common law and from our uh, first constitution, the Articles of Confederation, to its establishment as described in the constitution by our framers and ratifiers right up to the modern day. Uh, Importantly, we will be developing an originalist meaning of both the Commerce Clause and the Necessary and Proper Clause because it is mostly through the misinterpretation and misrepresentation of those two clauses that are at the heart of the seemingly endless list of implied powers that Congress has continued to claim for itself. Then, we will be doing a historical walkthrough of the crucial laws and Supreme Court opinions that have shaped this doctrine of implied powers Uh, from our new government's very first session in 1789, right up to the present day. Now, this narrative view of small usurpations over time not only, I think, makes for a a fascinating historical look at our nation's development through a lens that I think many people have never thought to look at it before to understand these issues, But I believe this narrative view will allow these complex legal processes to be understood in a bite-sized, plainly spoken form that will make this book equally useful and enjoyable to lawyers and non-lawyers alike and scholars and laypeople alike. So if you would uh, like to sign up to uh, get, essentially pre-order the book, uh, I have two uh, sort of different levels of membership that you can... uh, access and you get additional benefits with each one of these Uh, and the basic level uh, is for people who sign up will get uh, 
added to a private members-only mailing list that will give you updates on the progress of the book, including keeping you up to date as I essentially released a serialized version of it chapter by chapter over the next couple months on Substack, all leading up to the release of the book in November. And everyone who joins at this basic level will also get a free copy of the book when it is finally released in November, plus a shout out here on the Legalese podcast, as well as a personal thank you letter for me for being awesome and for supporting the channel and for supporting uh, my efforts here to try and roll back government from the monstrosity that it is to something more like the limited government of expressly delegated powers envisioned by our framers and ratifiers. And then if you want to go uh, the extra mile to support this project, you can sign up for what I have called super awesome tier membership because I'm immature and that sounded awesome, I guess, Um, which comes with uh, the added bonus of getting a pre-release copy of the book sometime in early November, a few weeks before uh, it will be available to the general public. And with that, you will also get a special thank you by name right in the book on the dedication page. So uh, if you were considering uh, joining and essentially pre-ordering the book uh, at either of those two sort of support levels, I would greatly appreciate it. There will be links to those uh, down in the video's description. And so, yeah, uh, I guess all that's really left to do is sign out here. So, you know, all the usual stuff. Make sure if you're not subscribed to the channel, you hit that subscribe button real quick so you always know when my newest videos come out. Uh, you know, let me know what you thought by giving that little uh, thumbs up button a hit. Or if you hated it, give the thumbs down button a, a hit. I don't really care, I guess, if you want to be a jerk about it. And then definitely leave me a comment, too. Let me know what you thought about this episode. I, I do really love to hear from you guys in uh, the comments and uh, hear your thoughts on the episode and even get a chance to uh, kind of talk with you about these topics back and forth a little bit. So uh, if you would do all of those things for me, I would greatly appreciate it. And so I guess all this really left to do is sign off. So this has been me, Bob, for Legalese, talking about inflation. And of course, as always, Cartago de Lenda Est. Like Glenn